Hello everyone. For our last podcast of 2020, we bring you a slight change of pace by talking about another podcast. Fidelity Tan is a fellow Singaporean who is also writer and host of the History of Colonization podcast. Beginning with the Portuguese colonization of Suita in 1415 at the start of the so-called Age of Discovery, she aims to provide an introduction to Western colonization of Latin America, Africa and Asia, and how colonialism continues to impact our lives today. Sean and I met up with her to talk about how she came up with the podcast, what she aims to achieve, and her thoughts on history, colonialism and education in Singapore. As a historian and educator and uh, someone who works on decolonization, I had a great time, especially talking with someone so young who is working so hard to create something so interesting about uh, an insufficiently understood part of our own history and understanding how so much of what happened in Singapore in the 18th, 19th, 20th century actually stems from things which happened on the other side of the world three, four hundred years before that. So I'm so delighted another Singaporean is writing and creating this podcast. Please do check it out. Links in the show notes. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, please do support our work, newnarrative.com slash join to join as a member, newnarrative.com slash donate to donate. Thank you very much, everyone. Enjoy the podcast. See you next year. So, the History of Colonization podcast, tell us about it. What is it? Right, so it's a chronological podcast that traces the history of colonization, but um, specifically European colonization um, from around the late, you know, early 15th century to the 20th century. So, um, right now, I'm currently um, around the period of the Portuguese um, quote, discovery of India. Yeah, so it. I guess the, the 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 first obvious question, uh, Fidelity, is what's up with your name? <laughs> <laughs> you have one of the most unique names that I have ever seen. Um, Not in terms of how it's pronounced, but in terms of how it's spelled. spelled. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so, um, right. My parents decided that it would be a good idea. I don't know why to look into the dictionary. Um, pick a random word and add several letters to it to make it unique so people would remember me. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's how it came about. Okay. But, yeah, growing up, I had a lot of trouble with, like, teachers trying to pronounce my name, butchering my name, mostly. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that, for, for that explanation. <laughs> um, and so how does uh, a Singaporean... You're in your final year at university, you think? Yeah, NTU history. Cool. And um, so how does a Singaporean end up doing a podcast on the history of colonization? Right. Well, I guess I have to get into why I got interested in colonization in the first place. So I went on exchange to um, the Netherlands last year and I got to visit a lot of museums um, and talk to a couple of people there. And what I found in museums was how there was a lack of representation of people of color, of Asians, of minorities. And so I think at some point I got really sick of just looking at um, 
white men being <laughs> exhibited oh, yeah. in art museums and history museums, how the whole narrative was centered around them. Um, and so I started to ask, like, why, why is this so? You know, and then I found a couple of museums that were engaged in um, post-colonial work where they were um, asking questions about why there were so many um, white men in the narrative. And so from then on, I started to read more about colonization. And um, so eventually I came back to NTU and I took a couple of courses in colonization and decolonization. Um, and so, yeah, that's how I really got interested in it. And afterwards, like I started talking to my friends about it. Um, and I realized that a lot of people really don't know anything about colonization. Yeah, or even, I mean, that's what yeah. I, wanted to, I wanted to ask as well. Like, yeah. where does that intuition to, to look at a museum and say, there's a lack of representation, where does that come from? Because, um, you know, when I was young, going yes. and looking at museums, looking at, at, at art galleries, um, and even friends my age, right? Yeah. You know, we go and look at museums and galleries and things it it didn't strike me back then and it doesn't strike a lot of people that there's a lack of representation, that there are problematic ideas or problematic yeah. representations. So where did that intuition come from? Because I'm sure a lot of people on exchange would just be like, wow, it's so pretty. It's like, oh my God, it's so new, <laughs> right? But yeah, um, yeah wh where, where did that come from? Right, so I guess part of the reason was I traveled alone, so I had a lot of time to think and reflect. And so... I had a journal that I would keep and I would write about all the exhibits I was um, going to. Mm -hmm. And it was just really frustrating that um, there was just no conversation about it. I don't know, like, I just I always just liked asking questions. So I guess that was how I got into it. Um, and I guess I was taking a couple of um, classes, um, just reading up by myself before exchange. So naturally one thing led to another. and. I just felt compelled to ask questions about it. Nice. Yeah. So you said, okay, when you got back to Singapore, then yeah. you started talking to friends about it, and then you realized yeah. that nobody knew much about colonization. Yeah. And I think that's certainly quite true for me. I still don't know much <laughs> about yeah. it. Um, uh, why do you think it's important for people to know about colonization as opposed to... Um, you know, the typical bread and butter issues, current affairs, why are we looking back into, you know, ancient, not ancient, but, you know, the history that's been so go so yeah. far gone. Why, why, yeah. why should we pay attention to that? Yeah, because I think what a lot of people don't realise is how relevant um, the history of colonisation is to current day issues of um, racism, sexism, um, how minorities are being treated. And I think especially in Singapore, how the whole legal system is structured. It's, um, it follows the colonial system of repression. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think it's crucial to engage in these, these colonial narratives, mm -hmm. to understand how these systems came about and how we can um, better deal with them and engage with these current day systems. So what made you want to start a podcast as opposed to like a website or, you know, what was the, what's the story behind that, the origin story? Right, so... It was kind of just a way for me to learn more about colonization in my own time because mm -hmm. it's what I'm interested in as a research focus. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, why not you know, tell my friends about it since they didn't know much about colonization. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, th that was what I wanted to do at first, just reach a very small audience mm -hmm. of um, Singaporean friends. Mm -hmm. But then like, eventually 
I guess it grew bigger. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I think people have been searching up um, certain terms on Spotify or Apple. Mm-hmm. And so, like, most of my listeners now actually come from the UK oh. and the US. Yeah, and Singapore was like third or something. Wow. Yeah, so I've gotten an unexpected audience. <laughs> I mean, it's great that these people are the ones listening yeah, to yeah. 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 in a way. Sean, how did you find out about the podcast? Because you were the one who told me about it. Oh, okay. So, I mean, I, I, I heard about it. I mean, I met her through, let's say, a mutual friend, right? And then from there, uh, she started telling me about a podcast that she was doing. So I thought, okay, you know, she's doing a podcast. Why not just check it out? And then I just felt like, I mean, the first thing that struck me was just the amount, the massive wall of data and information <laughs> yeah. and historical sources yeah. and I thought that like wow like what this is an amazing amount of work to put in for um, for a project so so that's that's kind of how I got in on that um, that project that Fidelity's Fidelity is doing <laughs> yeah. so Fidelity I can ask you yes. know there's some things which uh, jumped out at me immediately looking at your podcast mm. and one is where do you plan to end it right. because <laughs> colonization mm. um, oh, well I guess before we ask that maybe I'll yes. ask why did you start where you started right because colonization is something it, it comes from the Roman word where Rome would mm. conquer uh, new lands and then build up colonies there yes. so in, in theory, you could have started from the Roman Empire. You could have started from China. You could have started from South Asia. Yeah. But why European expansion? Right. So I guess this boils down to the difference between imperialism and colonization. Hmm. Um, I think the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy defines colonization as the European settlement and um, political conquest of peoples from the Americas, Asia and Africa. And so that's what I really wanted to focus on, not the imperialism part, not, um, say, Roman conquest and Chinese conquest, but what I saw as a problem that needed to be addressed and conversation that needed to be had was around European colonization. And so what I started from was um, 1415 in Suta um, and how Europeans first started colonizing territories outside of Europe. So that's where I started from. That's very interesting you start Suta because as you observe, yes. uh, you know, it's still a, a colony of yes. Spain today. Yes. And it always amuses me when Spain demands Gibraltar back because I'm like, <laughs> but you've been holding on to Suta for how long? <laughs> Suta and what's the other one? Mi- Mile- um, they have two colonies, right? On, yes. the, on the Moroccan side of the Mediterranean. And so, you know, I, I find incredibly hypocritical that Spain keeps demanding Gibraltar back when they exactly. themselves are two colonies and yeah. you know and of course like do they actually the, the Canary Islands you know mm-hmm. all the um, islands of the in the Atlantic um, there's all these very interesting questions that you raise yeah um, and and this brings me to the sort of second point I want to or the second interesting thing is um, you you know this is explicitly a sort of uh, critique of the white man um, version of history but it's going to be very difficult uh, to foreground the voices of the minority of the oppressed peoples of those various the indigenous peoples of those places that you're talking about especially since they're not easily available in English and I, I note how you've been trying to foreground those voices but have you found it very very difficult to do so? Yeah, so it was 
very taxing to be honest um and i found that problem especially um like it started with columbus so what i found was that pre-columbine um history was really hard to find like you only have a few books on archaeological histories honestly aren't like as comprehensive as i would like and so yeah there hasn't been much literature on it so i had to go digging for um, those books and i mean Obviously, I'm concerned about representing them in the right way, considering um, how few sources there are out there. But, well, I try with um, what limited resources I have. But yeah, that's definitely that um, concern. Okay, so that comes back to my uh, other earlier question then, like the, 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 the scope of this, right? Yes. Because European expansionism defines our modern world yeah. and arguably, you know, it's still going on. Mm. Um, Europe still holds... I mean, Reunion Island, for example, is French, yep. even though it's off the coast of... It's in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Uh, if you've ever taken the, the Paris uh, to Reunion flight, that's the world's longest domestic flight, which is quite hilarious. <laughs> you know, it's like, was it 15, 18 hours? It's a domestic flight all the way across the world. And so there's this island as part of the EU mm. in the middle of the, the Indian Ocean. Yeah. So European expansionism still is with us and defines the world today. Um, and then, of course, colonialism is no longer a European phenomenon, yeah. right? We have the Chinese, we have Indonesia in Papua, you know, we have, I mean, the status of Sabah and Sarawak, we have the Rohingya um, and the sort of occupation of land by... Uh, a, a government um, arguing that you know through all sorts of justifications that that land is actually theirs and that's that's become um, sort of that's been um, diversified um, so where, where are you going to end? I guess I mean it's really a very non-exhaustive podcast just the topic of colonization itself um, I guess I would end at decolonization movements in the 20th century, late 20th century. But honestly, it could go on. It could, I mean, change <laughs> into right. like a podcast just disc um, discussing on the impacts of colonization in um, the world right now. So, Oh, yes, that would be yeah. fascinating. So, yeah, I, I don't have a particular endpoint. It's just, I was just planning to keep going. And, oh, okay. Yeah. So I guess that... that tells us a bit about your process which I was also curious about because yes. how far ahead have you sketched this whole thing or are you basically like just writing episodes as you go do you have a big arc that you've thought through or yeah I don't have a big arc I just research as it comes so so how many episodes ahead are you uh, now of the one you've broadcast have you written the next one or the next two I'm actually in the process of writing the next one okay yeah. okay Cool. So, but and, yeah, I, I've done like I have a couple of books that I've read through on the Portuguese Empire, on the on the Portuguese Empire and on the Spanish Empire. So yeah, I kind of have a brief timeline in my head on how the podcast is going to go in terms of those um, empires. But other than that, I was just planning to read more and see how it goes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's that's totally fine. You don't need to. You know, we're, we're, I guess we're kind of learning and exploring alongside you as you learn these things and as you uh, discover new things, you know, the, the listener, we get to learn them with you. So that's a very interesting approach. So I also just, it's, it's becoming very, very clear to me that, you know, I'm speaking to two historians here. <laughs> so I'm just, you know, um, so just now PJ said something along the lines of European expansionism, you know, is... 
is is one of the key forces that defines the world that we live in today. Yeah. And I, I won't lie, there's a part of my, my brain that was like, can you tell me more about that? Because I'm not, you know, I mean, I get that, I get that that colonization is a huge thing and it has huge impacts on society. Um, but tangibly, can you tell how? Like, let's say if we were to simplify this for a layperson, how, how does it materialize into 21st century, 2020, how does it materialize into today, the here and the now? I mean, in Singapore, it's pretty obvious if you look at our, if you look at our built environment, our street names, mm-hmm. um, how, say, Raffles Institution is our elite um, school mm-hmm. that we have, um, or Raffles Place, or how like the statue of Raffles is still up there, and how mm-hmm. the government um, defines the bicentennial as mm-hmm. um, originating from eighteen nineteen, and so I mean, it's def- it's definitely in the environment we live in and how we speak in English. And the sort of mindset we have, that's mm-hmm. very, I should say, um, Western influence. How do you think that affects the psyche of the individual? Because I can hear already some horror story comments on Wake Up Singapore, right? Uh, you have that, that type of commenter who's going to go, yeah, but so what? You know, it's just nice architecture. It's just, it's just a language, right? Who cares, right? It's just an index for like different places in Singapore, Raffles Place, Raffles City, Raffles Girls School, who cares, right? It's just the name. What is the impact? The, the, the subterranean um, evil lurking beneath that that we don't see? When I think of this, I think of how, um, I think, Giorgio had an analogy where he went to Britain and then this army officer from the UK told him about how Singapore is, uh, Singaporeans are very well colonized people. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. And so <laughs> I think there's just a lot of, um, in the Singaporean subconsciousness that's just subtly affected by everything around us that mm-hmm. Singapore is the exception in um, Southeast Asia mm-hmm. that embraces colonialism especially with um, the merger and all mm-hmm. well if you don't mind me jumping in yes and you know Sean thank you for your question earlier because this is exactly why I'm glad you're here mm-hmm. I didn't even it didn't even occur to me to like define European expansionism <laughs> so sorry to to you and to my audience uh, our audience out there um Sometimes, you know, we all have blind spots. But um, with regards to sort of the damage, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the the person to read is Franz Fanon, a medical doctor who was also uh, anti-colonial. Um, and he wrote a lot of literature on this about the damage to the human psyche caused by colonization. Because uh, colonization isn't just physical and political. People don't just come and govern. They then impose ways of thinking upon us that we... Uh, then take on board and it becomes subconscious to us that we accept our subjugation, right? We accept our inferiority and then we shape the world uh, in accordance with this idea that we are inferior. And so if you look at former colonial countries, um, a huge part of the problem is not simply winning political independence, but then winning intellectual independence, uh, economic independence, removing your dependence from the, the former, uh, former colonial power. Uh, the fact that we speak in English right, shows the continued dominance of the British Empire and British 
and uh, American intellectual capital, intellectual soft power on the world today, right? And so literally, we are unable to communicate in our own languages. We have to use their language, which means we have their values, their assumptions in how we speak and how we think, because language really influences how you think, how you behave. Um, and then this natural gravitation because it then becomes easier to do business with the West. It mm -hmm. becomes easier to take on Western ideas. It becomes easier to associate yourself with the West, right? So all those things, but then also this continued idea, in, especially in Singapore, as Fidelity was saying, mm -hmm. that if we think of colonialism as having been a good thing, then we accept today continued subjugation as being a good thing. And that's part of why we don't stand up for ourselves and our rights with respect to the current government when it bullies us, when it oppresses us, when it passes stupid, stupid laws which just make our lives really difficult and make theirs, you know, expand their power in really arbitrary ways, POFMA being one example, mm. right? We accept it because we just think, oh, that's the way that the world should be. Mm -hmm. But if you think about uh, you know, even 40, 50 years ago, two generations ago in Singapore, we didn't accept it, uh, you know, and we didn't think of it that way. And part of the reason was, um, you know, because the world is so different, because majority of Singaporeans didn't speak English, because they didn't, uh, weren't indoctrinated through the schools, um, you know, and so had escaped this indoctrination of colonization. Um, and so this it's it's very it's just very dangerous um when you have uh you know we're like a, a puppy who's been who's who's been kicked so many times and who's normalized the idea that being kicked is how the master shows love for it that's mm -hmm. that's who we are today that's yeah, a huge so, problem. See, so now now that i'm in i have the the the, the just the good fortune of being in the presence of two historians right i want to ask when i was young right uh, studying history and studying social studies, right? Um, it always struck me as very odd that um, we loved colonization so much. <laughs> I mean, because from my perspective, why would you like that? It's such a horrible, pathetic story, right? That these white people came in and then you serve them. And then when it was inconvenient, they left why would you build a monument to these people? Why would you, you know, uh, name your best schools and best institutions after these people? I don't, so why? I don't get it. It's so odd. I don't, I don't know if other countries are doing this. I don't think that they are, but why are we so no, in really, love? No. Yeah, why are we in love with the people that had this awful relationship? That's like, ah, I like you now, but then, ah, it's inconvenient by, like, why would we ever be in love with that? <laughs> It's not even inconvenient. Like, we actually kicked them out. You know, this is something that's de-emphasized in our own history, how yeah. much we struggled. Because our anti-colonial protests and struggles and riots of the 50s mm. now, because of it's inconvenient in our history, uh, are now recast as, oh, like, they were communists, riots, yeah, and yeah. you know, like Hockley and so on. They, these, these were actually anti-colonial struggles that we should be holding up as examples of how we fought and uh, drove the British out. So, Wait, so you're yeah. saying the Hockley bus riots are, were anti-colonial in some way, shape or form? Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, in some way, shape or form, yes. Okay. Yes. Um, right. 
you, if you want to learn more, listen to my the history. Right, yeah, let's not, let's not go, yeah, let's not go to it. It's just very because, yeah. Explaining that that the bus strike and how it turned into a riot will take a long time. Yes, yeah. Okay, let's it's not let's not go there. But that but is yes. new. That is completely alien information to me. That is completely oh, new. Really? Yeah. Hey, you haven't listened to my podcast. Oh, I don't. Oh, no. <laughs> this is where I get caught. <laughs> but yes, yeah. So so um so so why 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 do you think that Singaporeans right are so in love with colonial icons or just very okay with the idea that we were colonized. Right. So I think it comes down to the inculcation of the Singapore story mm-hmm. and the education system, um, how 1819 was the turning point from um, a fishing village, mm-hmm. supposedly, um, to modernity, to economic um, prosperity, mm-hmm. to um, let's say social progress mm-hmm. um, and cosmopolitanism. Mm-hmm. And so why it's emphasized so much in the education system is because the Singaporean government essentially um, prides itself as a sort of continuation of that, but not of, but not of the white men. They are not the white men. They are the locals who are continuing this narrative of economic um, prosperity mm-hmm. that they will bring to Singaporeans. And so that's why it's cast in um, the education system as being such a wonderful thing. Because that was what brought, well, that was what civilized mm-hmm. Singapore. So speaking about the education system, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, in a so so we have a, a messed up education system, clearly, yes. right? And your efforts here look to be sort of re-educative to kind of dismantle some of the bad, some yep. of the weird ideas that we yes. have, um, and shed some light on the things that have gone on that we're, mm. that we're not uh, really paying attention to, right? So what do, you, what do you hope to achieve in your audience? How do you want to make them feel? What do you want them to think? What do you, how do you want them to sort of change or to... What do you want them to, to... How do you want them to grow from your podcast? Yeah, so in my podcast, I don't explicitly come on and say colonization is bad Mm -hmm. but what i do is i um, speak of narratives i tell them um, about the nuances in colonialism class structures uh, race gender and all that and like what i want to do is give people the information they need Mm -hmm. to deconstruct these narratives on their own or um, in conversations with other people so and from that like they can decide what to do with that information okay yeah so um, there are a bunch of theorists right now who yes. are, um, you know, very central to the ideas surrounding post-colonial theory. So people like Spivak and Fanon mm. and Shom. Now, um, I guess right now, I think that these are extremely powerful ideas, yeah. right? But they are very, they can be a bit difficult to access, yes. right? So how how do you think that these ideas can be brought into the mainstream? How do you think that these ideas can be disseminated? Um, is it going to be, uh, is that something that you hope to achieve with as in, uh, as, uh, as a, uh, having an academic career? Um, or is that something that you would want to put into your uh, podcast or into your work? Yeah. So I think the work of post-colonial theorists is just, subconsciously reflected in what I do mm-hmm. for the podcast. Um, I mean, reading Fanon, Cezaire and Membe is like the turning point of my life. Mm-hmm. Like just people coming out to say, 
Europe is indefensible. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. And violence against the colonizer was inevitable. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. Um, but regarding how I would put it in my work, um, I guess it's a bit hard to fit into the podcast, especially mm-hmm. since I'm going in a chronological order and like post-colonial terrorists would be like in the latter half of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's definitely an avenue I want to explore. Um, although it'll probably be a few years before I eventually get there. Okay. Yeah. Um, I guess... I, I guess the, 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 the question here is, of, of course, um, decolonization is, is such a big, big movement right now. It's yes. something that I think in the academy is, is, is really uh, coming up, right? Um, do you, uh, what do you think is the import? What do you think is the, we can get out of these ideas? How do you think that they can positively um, affect individuals? Right, like yourself. So you said it was very life changing, right? Mm. What is the material, direct impact that these theories or these ideas have had on you? Right. So I guess when I was reading about colonization, I had this like vague idea in the back of my mind, like this is really bad. And, like, um, you see, I was thinking of like something similar to what Suzanne was saying about Europe and how it's indefensible. But to actually have someone prominent coming out to say this and write this and be written about mm-hmm. that was what legitimized um my my view on it and essentially telling me that oh this view is right this view is okay to have because mm-hmm. people have come out to say um things about it and it might seem radical mm-hmm. um to you at first but the fact that people have spoken about it makes it real and so that was what sparked my interest in colonization so what's speaking the, about it if you had to pick if you could share with us like one extremely profound idea that that affected you a lot right yeah um what would that be um what was the one thing that you read and you were like oh my god you know this is that this is that big concept you know what was that right. for you so i guess it would be friends for nonce um wretched of the earth especially the part on violence mm-hmm. um so before that i think i would consider myself somewhat of a pacifist mm-hmm. but for after reading for non i was like Mm, I guess violence is necessary in some contexts when you're completely oppressed, when there's no way of making your voice heard. That's where um, the violence of the colonized comes into the picture. Mm-hmm. That's the only way to um, stand your ground and say, hey, this is not right. Mm-hmm. And since you're not listening to me, I have to resort to violence. All and right. that was kind of life-changing for me because like, I went from being a pacifist to some of a, well, I guess violence is okay in certain contexts. Okay. <laughs> Well, thanks for that. And is there is there anything? So I suppose if if you um, people who are listening to this podcast, right, yes, um, and who want to learn more about colonization, is there are there particular books that you really enjoyed, or anything you really thought was very interesting that you know eye opening? Oh, I mean, there are a lot of books out there, um, but. I would say before reading like a book on the history of the British Empire or the Portuguese Empire, like it would be wise to go into the post-colonial terrorists. Um, so definitely Fanon and um, Cesare, those I would highly recommend for people to um, get a sense of like the structure, the ways in which they should be looking at colonization through um, before looking at um, say encyclopedic books on the history of empires. And I guess... As as a young person, like how would you convince other young people 
you know, this is something I think I'd be very interested in, sort of deprogramming. You've been through, I, I was lucky enough to get out of the education system the year that Singapore, the Singapore story was introduced. So I never had to go through that programming, right? But you, both of you went through all that programming. How, if someone wants to deprogram themselves or at least get alternative perspectives, where should they start? I think they should start from new narrative. <laughs> uh, I, I just want to add I, this was not a paid endorsement I didn't ask her to say that she just totally volunteered it and I'm so happy and, and wake up Singapore <laughs> yeah this looks suspicious extremely suspicious <laughs> but I mean definitely like the work that you guys do is probably like the most accessible place to start rather than say delving straight into academic books that do with this so yeah. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, you are currently doing a thesis yes. on um, colonization. You're doing yes. a thesis on it's, it's as your final year project, yes. right? And then after that, you have plans for higher education, yes. right? How does that? How has that played out so far? Um, being a Singaporean. Um, how did you have to? How did you have to explain to your parents, like, hey, I'm gonna do history and colonization, uh, and decolonization, um, and I'm gonna do that professionally for the rest of my life, right? How how does that? Um, does that does, did that have to? Did, uh, was that a difficult conversation to have? Um, well, I guess I'm kind of lucky. You know, my parents are like, just do what you want. It's okay if you don't get into STEM or anything. And if you want to go into academia and you know, potentially be unemployed, it's fine too. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I, I want to question your assumption there, Sean, because uh -huh. a history degree doesn't mean you have to be a historian. Okay. Because uh, what, what is history? History, studying history is taking a lot of information and being able to talk about patterns, analyze narratives, find causality, break down assumptions. Mm -hmm. Those skills are applicable to anything you do in life, mm -hmm. right? Not, you don't have to be a historian. History is analyzing data, mm -hmm. analyzing narratives, and very human ones rather than, you know, mathematical, mathematically driven data. This is human data. Mm -hmm. So this is this is a point I made when I was a, a history teacher, and students were asking me. You know, this was um, in secondary in a secondary school in Singapore, right? Students asked me, "Well, why take history?" And I said, "With with the kind of skills you learn when you take history, you can apply them to anything you do in life." And actually, a lot of Singapore's early civil servants, locally educated. Singapore-born civil servants were graduates of the history program mm. at the University of Malaya, mm. um, partly because of the skills that they had mm. and um, partly because the head of the uh, history program at, at U uh, of M uh, back then um, wanted to educate lots of uh, local students to, um, you know, because he said these are people who, who are going to need the education to run the country. Mm. So he actually took in more than he was supposed to. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot of our early civil servants who helped build this country after independence were history graduates. So you can see the applicability of I a history fully, degree. I mean, I fully agree that, that, the, that a history degree is, is extremely applicable. And I think it goes for the rest of the arts and humanities as well. Um, 
my question comes from a place of having, you know, spoken to a lot of young people, activists, things like that, who right now, beginning in their career, find it difficult to have to explain to their parents, I'm going to do an arts degree or I'm going to do... I'm going to be involved in political work, right? And this is a sort of a tumultuous time because the career is beginning and everything. So we may know it's applicable. It's something that's practical. It's something that we could do a lot with. The thing is, how do we explain to parents? How do we explain to relatives? How do we find our footing? How do we negotiate, right? Um, the 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 trade-offs here less pay it's a little less secure will the will they will i get pothmad if i say something wrong <laughs> will people send me hate mail um will you know fap used to do this horrible tactic where they would post people's pictures as a post and shame them um will that happen to me so that's something that a lot of young activists are um thinking about uh, that they are negotiating. So th that, that's kind of what I'm, I'm, I'm wondering about in uh, Fidelity's situation here. Yeah, but in my context, like, my parents are all right with it. Okay. I'm lucky enough for that. Um, like, I told my mom I was setting up a podcast on the history of colonization. She was like, what is colonization? <laughs> and then I had to go on about, oh, do you know Raffles? Do you know like the British Empire? And mm -hmm. they came to Singapore and I, I did a really watered down version of it. But yeah, She's she's fine with it. I don't think she she thinks I'm gonna get puff mud, so <laughs> I think that's fine. Yeah, and I think what you're doing for Delphi is really important. Um, in in ways that are, are not might not be very obvious, right? Because activism and trying to make the world a better place, trying to you know um, create spaces for thought and discussion. Mm. Um, the these these don't have to be directly confrontational yeah. of the government um, but a, a, a strong vibrant society has space that has space for lots and lots of ideas and discussions requires a lot of different people doing a lot of different things at very different levels and it's not you know trying to create these spaces and trying to educate people and trying to help people think and learn um, this is a form of, of activism, especially in a country which imposes such a strong uh, ideological um, narrative on, on the students. Mm. Um, and, but it's not confrontational the way that, say, what New Narrative and I and Wake Up Singapore and Sean do, right? That's way more confrontational, but it's equally as valuable, right? And... Um, you know, if it ends up that a lot of people listen to your podcast and start learning and thinking about colonization, that would be a really great service to society and every bit as important as those of us who, you know, um, are putting out things which are more directly critical. Yeah. Um, you know, or you know, and, and society just needs a great diversity of, of, of viewpoints, and that's what you're helping build. Yeah. Okay, so Fidelity, I guess the final question: What do you, what are your, some of your plans for the podcast? Where would you like to take it? What what do you, uh, you know, what do you have lined up? Where do you want to go with this? Right, so I'm kind of just having a monologue on the podcast right now, but I would love to have more discussions. So I would love to have more historians, academics, or anyone with an interest in the field on the show. So we can discuss more about, like, say, social history, cultural history, aside from the timeline I've been going on. Um, so, yeah, that, 
that's kind of what I want to have in future podcasts, just more discussions. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Cool. That's, that, that sounds great. Okay, so I guess uh, on that note, um, I, we're out of time. So a big thank you, Fidelity, for joining us on our podcast today. And if people want to find your podcast, how do they do that? Um, they can access it from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Cool. And a big thank you to my co-host, John. Hi, um, thanks. And, that was uh, wake really up lovely, <laughs> really lovely discussion. <laughs> Very eye-opening as well. For somebody that's all, you know, that's uh, primarily focused on the here, the now, the current events, um, material condition, blah, blah. Um, looking at the history of colonization, I think, has it's, it's a new perspective for me, right? Learning how the past, how our history comes into the here and now and materializes in its effects. Um, I think that is something that, uh, you know, I'm going to take away from this session. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. yeah. Do check out a uh, history of colonization um, and then stay tuned because we'll be interviewing more young activists in the weeks to come. And that was Fidelity Tan, Sean Francis Han and I talking about her podcast, The History of Colonization. Please do support our work at newnarrative.com slash join to join as a member, newnarrative.com slash donate to donate. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. See you in 2021. Oh